mention how grateful I am for the team that led us in worship this morning. I'm, you know, I sit in the front row and, um, and uh, you, you really led well, but there were these terrific harmonies and I kind of got distracted by the drummer was having a little bit too much fun <laughs> and the bass player was getting kind of into a groove and there were these, you know, these riffs coming off of the guitar player that were just these crunches that I thought, yeah! power in the word of God and, and the harmonies coming from, I mean, the harmony, vocal harmonies were terrific and uh, thank you for the, the time that you spend preparing to lead us in worship and I'm, I'm grateful that that happens all over and, and ladies for VBS, I, I know that something exciting was going on here, I think it was either Thursday or Friday because the, the, the burglar alarm went off and the cops came, what's going on at Crossroads Church? They came and they found out it was just our team getting ready for VBS. So I'm not surprised that it sent a shockwave through the community. <laughs> we care about children, and we want to make VBS free for kids. We've, um, we just, uh, you've been generous about that, and, and it's a big deal. It's a great opportunity. So I want to pray over the kids at VBS. Even though we're a week out, let's just take a minute and do that, and we'll catch the Word of God in that same pass. Lord, thank you that you trust us enough to put into our, in sphere, our sphere of influence, a handful of kids from our community. Lord, we really want to influence them with life and with hope and with righteousness and to show them they're loved and they're cared for and that somehow, Lord, their parents and their families and their friends may, may find out that there is, there is something about hope in Christ, that, Lord, somehow that will happen. So I pray over the whole, the whole venture, Lord, and ask God for you to bless it and to cause it to be fruitful. Now, Lord, as we crack open your word today, um, Lord, speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen? So I like to just give a proverb before we get into the text. Today is the 12th. I picked Proverbs uh, chapter 12, verse 14. A man will be satisfied with good by the fruit of his words, and the deeds of a man's hands will return to him. So um, I think we have a generation of people today that have never seen an over-the-counter drug that comes in a capsule. And for those of you that are my age or so, you know why. You remember um, there was this, this season in 1982. It happened in September. And uh, um, some people did some terrible things and tampered with the drug Tylenol, which came in capsules at the time. And, um, and it was just a, just a terrible time. And, and you maybe remember Tylenol came in these red and white capsules. You could take them apart and the Tylenol was inside. And, and when you actually would buy Tylenol, um, you know, you take it out of the box and unscrew the lid. There was no seals or anything. There was just some, some cotton jammed in there, right? So that they could make you feel like you got a whole bottle. And anyway, so and, and somebody bought some, took them somewhere, opened them up, put potassium cyanide inside these things, deadly thing, and then stuck them back together and put them on the store shelf, and nobody knew. And one morning, a 12-year-old girl named Mary Kellerman, who lived in the Chicago area, um, felt crummy. Parents kept her home from, from school. And... Um, they gave her a couple of Tylenols and that morning, and by 9 o'clock, she was, she was gone. She died. That very same day, there was a local um, or an area guy who was 27, and he was a postal worker, and he called in sick, didn't feel well, had some symptoms, took a couple of Tylenols around the late morning, and by noon, by early afternoon, he had perished. And when his family heard about that, the family gathered at the house, this, this guy, our, our, my brother, my brother-in-law, my son, he's died. We don't know why. He just died. He was healthy. He's dead. And, and the family got together. And his brother, who was about his age, he was 27. I think his brother was 29, 27, something like that. And his brother and his recently married wife his brother had to soar back, and they said, you know, they're there because his brother died a few hours ago. They're at his house. He says, give me a couple of Tylenol. His wife says, I think I want some too. He was gone by 5 o'clock. She lived a couple more days. There were three other, at least three other people in the Chicago area that day. It was terrible. Nobody knew what had happened, and 
um, investigators soon discovered this link to Tylenol, and, and uh, they put out these urgent warnings on the radio and on the news, and uh, police actually drove around in neighborhoods with loudspeakers in their car, you know, broadcasting these warnings, don't take Tylenol. It, it, don't take it. It was a crazy thing. Within days, Johnson & Johnson, which was the parent company of the company that owned the brand of Tylenol, sent out warnings to hospitals, and uh, they, they, they started a nationwide recall where Tylenol was pulled off of the shelves by people with mullets. Okay, I showed this picture to Lisa, and Lisa doesn't notice anything going on with Tylenol. She noticed a nice haircut. <laughs> yeah, just, you know, I was just saying. Anyway, and sadly, ironically, the uh, people actually took something to relieve pain, and the very thing that they thought would relieve their pain took their life. If you happen to be the president of Tylenol at that time, you know, you could take a look at that and go, well, a lot of people take Tylenol. It was the leading um, pain reliever in the country, probably in the world. And um, out of the hundreds of thousands of people that year that took Tylenol, only seven died. Pretty good odds. It's like you can do the math. It's 99.9999, a whole bunch of nines. I did the math. I mean, how sick is that? Um, I, mean, I mean, that's pretty good odds. Most people, it's just fine. The problem is, after I heard the news, I stopped taking Tylenol. And, um, I mean, a lot of people stopped taking Tylenol, and maybe some people have never taken it again since then. And um, the facts are that 99.99999% of the people were safe, but their perception was that they weren't safe. That, you know, so I'm just not going to use them, nor am I going to buy them. And this company, apart from the tragedy involved, had this public relations absolute nightmare. This was not of their doing. This was not because of their carelessness. No, no pharmaceutical company had had, had, had the idea of tamper-resistant packaging. It didn't exist before then. So what are they going to do? They, they change their capsules into what we see today. They're called caplets, um, you know, so that they can't be taken apart and stuff put back inside there. And they repackage their product. You know, it looked like this before. Now it looks different so that, you know, you could tell that nobody could break into the package without it being obvious to the end consumer that it's somebody had been in there. They spent millions and millions of dollars back then to re-educate the public, saying that, you know, what you didn't think you could believe in before, it's now safe. You can believe in this again. I mean, there was a big effort. And I think they pretty successfully handled it because I got Tylenol back in my cabinet again. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it, people are taking it again. And in fact, they did. And we talked last week about um, our own problems with perception, ours, the church. I don't mean crossroads. I mean the body of Christ. We talked about that. The Church of Jesus Christ today has a perception problem, just like it did in, in about the year 66 AD. And um, just like that time, just like today and just like back then, the church was full of regular people, you know, committed, loving believers who, you know, are doing our best. We're just doing our best. But um, do, do we make mistakes? Well, of course. Yeah, we do. You know, I mean... We have our ups and downs. That happens in, to all people. But, 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 all, but by and large, the people in the church are, are, are living for God. They love each other, and, and, and we're trying. So, but do you remember we talked last week about how they were slandered and how we get slandered too? They, they were being called back then cannibals because they had this church ritual where they would eat the body of Christ and drink his blood like you did today. You could all be called cannibals for this now because if someone doesn't understand what's going on there, there's this image. Because, you know, they were being called cannibals. They were being called immoral because they had what they called love feasts, which sounded like some sort of immoral sexual thing going on, but it wasn't. It was just fellowship together over a meal, right? Okay. And um, they were called anti patriotic because they would not worship Caesar. 
Nero. They wouldn't, they, and they were subversive because they wouldn't buy the idols and they wouldn't buy meat sacrificed to idols. And so they were having a financial impact. So they were you know, blamed for burning Rome. Nero said these Christians have done it and they got blamed for that. And so Christians back then had this huge public relations problem. And the same, I think, is true today. Now, to, to call our situation in the world a public relations problem is crass, and I don't mean to suggest that at all. But it's true that the image of the church in the world in general isn't all that good. Right? I mean, we're slandered. We're called you know, hypocrites and intellectual. And um, you know, I think, for the most part, Christians are regular good people, and, and when we mess up, when we've blown it, for the most part, we fess up and own it and, and try to get, you know, get things right. And I really believe that that's all the world is really asking. I, I don't really believe the world expects Christians to be perfect. I think that's a lie. I think they just want us to be real. They just want us to be authentic. And when we make mistakes, to do that. But you're being slandered. You know, if you're a part of the body of Christ, you're hypocrites, you're anti-intellectual, you're bigoted, you're narrow, you're, you know, you're anti-this, you're anti-that, and, and, um, you know, it, you, and, and then there's this other argument, you know, you're weak. You know, if there's actually so many of you Christians in the country, how come you don't make, make a bigger difference? You're weak, toothless. Or, or on the other hand, you're these wide-eyed zealots trying to take your influence and shove it everywhere you can. I mean, you're either weak or you're a scriptural terrorist. We can't win. Now, I think we have problems that are very similar to the problems that Tylenol had. And the everyday Christian that's out there is a loving person, you know. And, 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 but the perception of the everyday Christian is we're hypocrites and that we don't live what we say. So the people that you work with, the people in your neighborhood, have a perception. And, and, and have you noticed that any time in a conversation you decide to talk about God, or Jesus or Christianity, they kind of like, oh, let's get off that topic. Let's stay off of that, and let's stay off of politics, because, you know, I mean, everybody's got a story. You know, I just saw something on TV, or I had an aunt, or I had this uncle who was a deacon, or I, you know, and they had this story about what went on, or this pastor we knew. I mean, there's, everybody's got these reasons. The good news that I want to say to you after all that terrible <laughs> introduction. How stupid is that for a pastor to start with all kinds of you know, negative stuff in the opening? But the good news is that God has an answer to all that stuff, and it's a good answer, and it actually worked for the first century Christians when they followed it, and it'll work for us as well. And, and, and what happened was those, those first century Christians, as they changed things, they eventually became viewed as model citizens, as you know, great family members. They were excellent workers. They were loving people. And in fact, over time, the Roman kingdom embraced their viewpoint as the predominant viewpoint. And it can happen today, too. I believe it can happen for us today, too. But I think we're going to have to do some of the things that we can learn from what the people at Tylenol did. An interesting uh, parallel. And so I'm going to just, for just a moment, use some of their terminology, okay? But I don't want you to think that I'm into marketing the church, although that was their perspective. You know, they, they were cared about the people, but there's a perspective here that, that we can learn from. So what do the people at Tylenol do? Number one, honor what we're trying to do. You know, in, in, in Tylenol's terms, what are we selling? We need to ask ourselves, does our product have integrity? You know, is there anything in our spiritual capsules that doesn't belong there and that somehow kills hope? Great questions to ask ourselves about that. Second thing we need to do is we need to repackage, I think, sometimes our product. You know, when, when people consider Christianity, can they really say about it that it's safe? You know, because the fact is that there are some people that think that Christians just aren't safe to be around. And then the third thing that Tylenol did is, is in the same as us, I think there's a, an education campaign so that people can really know that Christianity is not about rules and no. It's about hope. It's about, you know, helping them know who Christ really is. So now, and I know that you've heard some things about the church, and there's one that I've heard so many times, and it just drives me nuts. You know, well, you know the Bible is completely filled with contradictions. You probably heard that, you know. And, 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 and to which I say when I'm in that and I hear that kind of comment, I say, well, you know, let's sit down and talk about them. 
Most of the times, the answer is, well, I, I can't name any specifics. I've just heard. But, but when you've had the opportunity, when I've had the opportunity to sit down and, and actually walk through the issues that are in there, it's amazing. Christianity is, it's actually intellectually feasible. You know, it is. It's, it actually has answers to some of the basic issues of philosophy today. It's viable. And, um, you know, it's, it's, I really believe, the only way that makes relationships and marriages and friendships really, really work and be meaningful. So Peter, Peter, who was inspired by the Holy Spirit, gives us a strategy about all this, and uh, we're going to pick back up where we left off last week in 1 Peter 2. And uh, as a way of review, we'll read the first, for the first couple of verses what we were at last week. If you didn't bring your Bible, that's okay. I've got one for you. It's on the wall. Follow along. Verse 11, Dear friends, or beloved brothers, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world, in other words, people that don't really belong on this planet, that's you and me, um, to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Then second, he says, verse 12, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Now, I want to remember the context here. Um, they've been driven out of Rome. They've been blamed for burning the place. They're fleeing for their lives. Everybody's against them. And if there was ever a time to stop and say, you know, hey, this stuff's not true. You know, we're, you know, that's not who we are. We didn't do these things. You know, it's a big lie. In fact, here's the real deal. It's our government that's lying about us. Okay, if there was ever a time, you know, that, wouldn't that be the time? Okay, so, you know, but Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, leads us in what I think is a fairly unexpected direction, and uh, which, by the way, can be very, very hard for us. Um, doesn't come easily. And he's saying, here's how you change that image. Verse 13, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution among men, whether to the king as a supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Verse 15, for it is God's will that by doing good, notice that theme again, doing good, um, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. And boy, here we go. Okay, so that's not too easy. We should, do we really have to study that today, Terry? I think we do. I think we're going to go there. And I mean, I'm looking at things like, you know, the employer-employee relationships. You know, that's, we would have back then it was slaves and masters. How do, how do they, you know, how do they deal with this? Verse 18, here we go. Slaves. Submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. And then he goes on to develop Christ as an example, and we're going to look at that in a minute in more detail. And then he, Peter goes from the government to the workplace, and then he goes to the home. First Peter 3, verse 1, he says, Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands. Why? Why do I need to do that? So that if any of them do not believe in the word, they may be won over without words, but by the behavior of their wives. Good works, behavior, submission. You see a pattern that's kind of going on here. Let's, what about husbands? You know, is submission just for wives? No. <laughs> no, it's not. Guys get it more than the women's do, women do. Okay, First Peter 3, verse 7. Husbands, in the same way. What's the same way? What do you mean in the same way? The controlling verb of this entire passage is back in chapter 2, verse 13. And it's the word submit. That's the controlling verb here. In the same way, guys, submit. We're, we're going to submit to the government. Slaves submit to masters. Wives submit to husbands. Then husbands in the same way. And uh, Peter describes how it looks. He says, be considerate or sensitive, caring, mutually responsive. You know, that's the idea. As you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner, and it goes on. Now, by the way, that weaker partner, it doesn't mean less valuable, it doesn't mean not as smart, it doesn't mean not as capable, it just means, this is what that means, if you and your wife go in the octagon, (laughs) most of the time the guys will come out, okay, that's all that that means, that's all that that means, and I've seen too much made of that sometimes, and that's not smart, then God summarizes this whole section, and and he shows us what submission is going to produce, by the way, which will change our lives, plus it has the added side benefit of 
um, affecting slander. So 1 Peter ver, uh, 3, verses 8 to 9. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. That's our testimony. Be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate and humble. Now, some of you guys will identify with this. Do you have a favorite tool? I mean, I've got a certain screwdriver I like to use and a certain drill. I mean, I have my go-to tools. I've got a certain pan I like in the morning. Um, you know, it's, and I just replaced it because the old one just has failed me, so out it goes, and I've got a new one. I get, you can tell I have a pan in the morning, can't you? And I've got a knife that I use to chop up my jalapenos. It's just perfect. In fact, my children don't even know about it. Until this moment, it's been a secret. I keep it from them. A secret knife, and boy, is it sharp. That's the reason it's sharp. It's a secret. <laughs> and I think we all have our favorite tools, and, one, and, and the Lord's going to talk about one of our favorite tools here. It's not a favorite. It's just kind of a go-to tool. And, and, and watch, God's going to kind of reach down into our toolkit and say, put that back. Don't use that. Okay, verse 9. Do not repay evil with evil, because that's our natural thought. Or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. And then he gives a formula about how to inherit a blessing. And, 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 and Peter is, is, is very clearly teaching here that God's will for his church is submission. Submission in three areas. Number one, we're going to silence our critics with submission in public affairs. And we're going to look at that today. Another day, we're going to look at submission in professional affairs, the workplace. And another day, we're going to talk about submission in private affairs, and so I want to get into verses 13 and 17 and see what submission looks like in public affairs, specifically the government, um, the state, and our laws. So here's the command. Um, do you want to exalt God? Okay, so here comes a command. And it's an, it's, the word used is an imperative. And Peter says in 1 Peter 2, verse 13, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men. Wow. This, in the word of God, does not fall into the category of milk. This is meat. I need this sliced into a small, tiny bit because i got to chew. And um, so before we go any further, you know, I want to just take a minute and s- examine what does that word mean and what does it not mean? Because, frankly, it's kind of a dirty word to me anyway. I know you're all really godly people and you easily submit, but I have a stripe in me that's probably why the Lord made me study this. And I have to tell you, here's the kind of thing with being a preacher. Um, you know, at least from my experience, when the Lord says, hey, here's where I want you to go with the church, that means that's the, the knot hole that the Lord is going to pull Terry through. <laughs> and so I just don't want to be there alone. So you're coming with me. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm just not crazy about the word submission. Um, I think if you're going to be a good leader in the home, in the workplace, in any organization. If you're going to be a good leader, you have to also be able to be a good follower. There's, there's something to that, and the Lord is, is, has been shaping that in me my entire life. Um, but I have some connotations. When the word submission comes up, they're not good connotations. I mean, I think, you know, weak, vulnerable. I, you're the guy that gets pinned in the match. You know, a submission hold, okay. I mean, it's just... But, but that is not the biblical view of submission at all. Submission, biblically, is, is not blindly saying, okay, brains, out the window you go. It's not throwing your brains out the window. It's, it's not do whatever the government says. It's not, it's not, you know, any human authority, whatever they say, I'll do it. You know, if my husband says jump off a cliff, okay, how high? I mean, it's, not, it's none of that. That's not biblical submission at all. The Bible never tells us to throw our brains out the window. It never does that. And it never tells you to blindly follow anybody. Submit is actually a Greek military term. And, and basically it means to arrange troop divisions in military fashion. Line them up under the command of someone. Okay, that's, that's what it was. But there's also a non-military definition. And it basically describes a voluntary attitude. Okay, now I'm in trouble. A voluntary attitude. You know, a voluntary attitude of giving in of cooperation, of, of assuming responsibility or maybe even carrying a burden that's not mine to carry. Biblical submission is not, oh, okay, you have the power, so therefore I'm just going to wilt and do what you command. That's not what biblical submission is. 
Here's biblical submission. It's the courage and the strength to be so secure that you see the value of the big picture so you willingly, voluntarily, and graciously give up your rights. That is a lot. And the scripture's greatest example of this is Jesus Christ. You know, so I ask a couple of questions. Is he a wimp? No. <laughs> is he, is he, does he have a power problem? No. Is he afraid of anybody? No, he's not. Yet, in his last hours, he's having a one-on-one with Pilate, and Pilate has the audacity to say, hey, don't you realize that I hold your life in my hands? I can just imagine that moment. You know, I, Jesus would never, he's way too mature. I mean, I'm not immature. I'm, I just, I mean, I would crack a smile. You think so. I mean, I, you know, but I'm sure Jesus was thinking lovingly. You know, Pilate, nothing could be further from the truth. You don't hold my life in your hands. You know, I'm thinking Jesus, and Jesus knew, he had all of the power he needed. Snap his fingers, a kajillion angels would come off of one. How many can dance on the head of a pin? I don't know the answer to that. They would come off there, and this whole crucifixion thing would be done. It would be done. Unlimited power, he could do it. Yet, yet even in his final breath on the cross, he voluntarily gave himself up. He modeled submission. Nobody killed Christ. He gave it himself. First Peter 2, verse 21 through 25, this is the fact. What you were called to do because Christ also suffered for you and left an example for you to follow in his steps. Now, then Peter quotes some prophetic words from Isaiah Um, chapter 53, which had been written hundreds of years earlier, verse 22. He never committed a sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not retaliate. When When he suffered, he did not threaten, but made it his habit to commit the matter to the one who judges fairly. He himself bore our sins on his body on the tree so that we might die to those sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you've been healed. That's a very famous, you hear that, that scripture quoted a lot. I'm going to take just a moment for a rabbit trail. And I don't mean to ruffle anybody's feathers. Um, um, and, and, you, you know, this, this is a quote from First Peter. It's also from the book of Isaiah. Uh, by his wounds or by his stripes, you've been healed. And um, I've, I hear this, this verse stated a lot when I see Christians praying for somebody's physical medical healing. It's very, very common. And um, I, I, that's okay. I mean, that's fine. But the context of that scripture is not medical healing. The context of that scripture is, is being healed from the eternal death that's been, that's, that's brought, been brought about because there's a sin in our life. Now, I'm not saying don't pray for healing. And I'm not saying don't quote that scripture. I'm just saying that's not the context, that's not medical healing, is not the context of that, of that passage. And, and I do believe in praying for people to be healed. I do pray for people to be healed. I believe in miracles. I have seen personally and witnessed miraculous healings that I believe were the, 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 just the, the love of the Lord. A miracle poured out and, and followed prayer like that. So do that. Okay, do that. But I, I'm concerned sometimes when I think that people have read into that scripture a promise of medical healing. Because not everybody gets healed. The Lord is sovereign. If everybody gets healed, this church would be full of 2,000-year-old people. <laughs> I don't mean to be trite, but I just want to say, okay, it's, you know, it's, it's incumbent upon me as a pastor when I go through a passage that there's a, there's a perception, common misperception about a passage. I want to spend a minute on it. And so if you feel strongly about that and, and you need to talk, my email address is eric at crossroads. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, fine. I should get back to this. Okay, so it says, by his wounds you've been healed, verse 25, for you were like sheep. See, here's the explanation in the context of that passage. By his wounds you've been healed, for you were like sheep that kept going astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Jesus had the strength and the courage to let go of his rights. It's amazing. Because he understood that he needed to submit to the Father's plan 
so that our sins could be paid for. So he was strong and he was secure and he saw the big picture and, and um, of what his submission was going to end up producing. I'm so grateful. And so he voluntarily yielded his rights even though it was painful. Even though he was right and we were wrong, he gave up his rights and submitted himself. He yielded to cooperate and carry a burden and, and to assume responsibilities that were not his to carry. And he did that because of the benefit to me and to you. I love that. That's biblical submission. It's the idea. It's not saying, okay, you're strong or you can't handle it or whatever. It's to submit yourself voluntarily, to cooperate, to give up your, your, your rights willfully. And uh, now here's where it kind of starts to get hard, though. Verse 13, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. Well, the point here is that God sovereignly puts people into authority at the government level. I mean, I mean, do you struggle following political leaders ever? <laughs> I mean, I, don't, don't say any names out loud. I do. Okay, sometimes I struggle, and, but here's the deal. Here's a couple of scriptures to help you get some perspectives about this. One is a conversation between Jesus and Pilate, uh, John 19, 11. Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Wow. You know, he said from above here. Why didn't he say from God the Father? Um, I think it's because he was dealing with people who were not followers of God, and there were... There were, there were idol worshipers present that were hearing these comments, and, and they all un- understood the concept of deity coming from above. So why is it Jesus? And here's another example, Romans 13, verses 1 and 2. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who, do, who rebels against the authority is rebelling against God, has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. And this has the idea of not only um, just the people, but also the laws, the laws that they enact. And I struggle sometimes. I mean, when we apply this, it's, it's, it's tough on me. It's going to be tough on you too. It, it just is. But can you imagine being a first century Christian and hearing this? I mean, submit to every human authority? I mean, even the king? The guy who blamed us in a lie for burning Rome? You know, we had to leave our houses. We had to flee for our lives. Nero, we're supposed to submit to him? That's what it says. So whatever you and I think is maybe hard about this for us, (laughs) okay, God's kind of covered that. And it was that submission that really transformed the early church from being slandered to becoming noble. And, and here's the key word. Get ready. Buckle your seatbelts. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority. Every authority instituted by man, not some. Yikes. Okay. Let's think of who this is. Okay, you got the president, the Congress, the Supreme Court, state governments, City, city governments, planning councils, zoning councils, building codes, permits. We got speed laws. Really, God? <laughs> you know, police officers, firemen, the IRS. <laughs> the scripture says to submit to all of that. You know, every, it says. But you know what they do with our tax money? 60 miles an hour. Do you know how stupid that is? The bill, it was 70 when they engineered it. It's safe. It's 60 miles an hour. That's stupid. So, so here's my rhetorical, snarky question of the day. Can I ask a snarky question? Because some of you are saying, no, don't you dare. But some of you are going, yeah, let's hear it. I want to watch somebody squirm. That's mean. Does the word every mean every and all, or does it just mean to selectively obey the laws, the agencies, the rules that I agree with? <laughs> I got to tell you, um, you know, I've had a hard time with this, and because it, it happens when I'm studying and I'm preparing, you know, and I really felt like the Lord in my study time said, Terry, hey, read that again and stick your name in there. Terry, Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every authority and law instituted by men. 
And that's when the subject of the speed loss come up. <laughs> now, I have to tell you, okay, here comes some self-justification, all right, because this is all smoke and chrome, but I'm going to tell you in advance. I haven't had a traffic ticket. I can't remember. It's been decades. You own cats, don't you? <laughs> and so, you know, I drive down the freeway or wherever, and I'm always a few miles an hour over. Well, how much over do you say, Terry? Well, it depends. There's a calculation that goes on right here. What is the absolute most I can go over in the circumstances without getting a ticket? Well, it depends. Who said, say, okay, don't say, but, I mean, you know, I mean, I, I, there's something in me. I just want to go the fastest I can without the trouble, and that depends, because sometimes I really believe, I don't really believe this, you know, the Lord provides me with a sweeper. A sweeper is a guy that's going way too fast, and you know he's going to get pulled over. He's, he's clearing, the, he's sweeping, okay? <laughs> At least I go, hey, there goes a sweeper, let's go. It's not my fault. The woman who the Lord gave me makes me go fast. <laughs> and you know what else? I cannot stand to go to Oregon because I want to pump my own gas. <laughs> you know, you go 60, they blow past you. If the speed limit's 70 and you go 70, they blow past you. How many of you actually go 70? Don't, don't mind how many then I realize it's really not that much about the speed. I mean, so don't lose the point. I mean, the issue in this little area is that I selectively obey that. The fact of the matter is, you know, I don't like boundaries. I don't, I don't, I disagree with the law. Don't disagree with it for other people. But for me, it cramps my style. <laughs> Here's the deal. If you have to go 10 miles and you go 75, five over the limit instead of 70, you save 37 seconds. I did the math, and time is important. Think how much time we could save. <laughs> now, I know I'm not going to get ticketed if I go 74. But if they change the lot of 74, I'm going to go 79. If they change the lot of 79, I'm going to go 83 or so. This issue hasn't got anything to do with speed. It has to do with Terry Fisher wanting to selectively apply this passage. It says every authority means building codes, means the IRS paying what you owe. But hey, you know, what we do sometimes is, you know, if we just pay this guy in cash, there's no going to be no harm, no foul. IRS won't show or, you know, these codes are a little bit too strict. We just won't worry about that. And by the way, I want you to know that Crossroads did not do that. When we did our remodels, we got our permits. And if you can think back a couple of years, this room was a lot smaller. The wall used to come across right about here. And, um, and I tried to get a building permit. We did this part without a building permit. I tried. I submitted drawings. And the building official at Thurston County said, this is not a load-bearing wall. You do not need a permit. Go ahead and do your interior remodel. And because I wanted to be so careful... Because I feel like if I do something in behalf of the church as the pastor of this place that's not right or righteous, I believe that, it, that, that it's not good. It does something that you'll never see. But something spiritual can take place. And I, I don't want to do that to you or my family or anybody else like that. So I said to this building official, I want that in writing. Why? I just, it'll make me feel better. Okay, so he wrote me a letter. You may proceed. You do not, this does not require a building permit. I just want you to know that, okay? <laughs> that... I speed, I used to, I'd still do, I, whatever. <laughs> Cruise control is my friend, okay? I've been working on this series for a number of months, and I want you to know for a number of months, I mostly stay on the cruise control. I, 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 was, I was with a friend of mine who, this is years ago, had a Nova that he wanted to sell. So he put the ad in, you know, the auto trader and all that kind of stuff, and gets a call from this guy. Okay, he wants to come and look at it. He's going to maybe buy it for his mother. And the guy and mom come to look at the car and decide, okay, we want to take the car, agreed on the price, 
guy says, now I wasn't selling the car, I was a close friend. He says to my close friend, hey, um, could we do something? Sure. When you write the bill of sale, could you put this price on it instead of this price? Because it'll save us 100 bucks when we go to get the title. It'll save us $100 in sales tax. And so I happen to be with my friend, um, and so we're talking about what do we do here. And um, in the meantime, we've got to clear the car out, get all the stuff out of the car, including the Bible sitting in the back seat, and the guy's watching us take all this stuff, including some Christian paraphernalia, right? <laughs> and um, we're thinking, you know, and, and, and I imagine this guy's thinking, you know, these guys, Bible, hmm, they'll probably help me cheat on the tax. They're, you know, just like everybody else. They, they understand we can pay less tax and no one will know the difference. And the thing is, you know, if we were going to maybe by chance invite this dude to come to church or tell him about Jesus, then what is he going to think? Yeah, sure, you know. I've already got enough friends that are hypocrites. I don't need any more. No thanks, I won't come with you to church. And we didn't have that, you know, so we're taking the stuff out of the back seat. And um, here's the deal. If we're going to clean up the slander that could be said about the church, we've got to clean up some of the stuff that goes on and submit. And do you notice the motive in this passage? The motive here, it says, is for the Lord's sake. You don't do this because the law's right. You don't do it because the IRS does the right thing with your money. You don't do it because the building codes always make sense. You do it for the Lord's sake. And this is a theological basis for submission. For the Lord's sake. It's God's design. So here's what we told the guy. My friend who had got his price decided that, okay, I'm going to help him out, but, but I'm going to hold my integrity too. He says to the guy, look, I'm going to write the honest price on the bill of sale. It's going to cost you an extra 100 in sales tax, but we want to help you and mom. Mom's, got, mom's with him. Mom's got puppy eyes. Save me my $100. <laughs> it was manipulative. Um, they said, I'm going to help you. I'm going to lower the price 50 bucks, and you pay the other 50 so your mom doesn't have to pay it. Oh, that was brilliant. <laughs> it was brilliant, and it held on to his integrity and his testimony. And yeah, our government is imperfect. If you work for the government, I know your part's perfect, Okay. <laughs> I mean, I know that there are some things about our system that are imperfect. I love our country. I think our country is a wonderful country, blessed by the Lord. And so much is good here. Don't lose sight of that when you see things that you disagree with. And yeah, there are some things we can disagree with. And, and so for, for, for the things that I can change, I'm doing what I can do to help see those things change. But until they're changed, I'm going to walk in submission with integrity. Because the Lord, it's for the Lord's sake. And you see... That's how we silence the slander of people that accuse us. We do it by our good deeds. Now, Nero might be a lousy emperor. You know, maybe he's blaming you. And you'll notice here that God doesn't commend the government. He just says submit to it. And you can study through the whole history of the church. The church never came up with a plan to overthrow the government. Never happened. They worked within God's system until their effect made a difference. And that's the requirement. Now, why do I need to obey this? Here's why 1 Peter 2 verse 15 says, For it is God's will. The reason is not because I agree with it, but because it's the will of God, and we'll see the result. That by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Now that word ignorant there is, uh, Greek word ignorant is, our word Gnostic with an A in the front, agnostic, it literally means one without knowledge. So Peter is saying, you know, do you want to silence people that don't have knowledge, that don't have a correct perception? Do you want to silence them? You know, they're without knowledge of what's really true about Christ and about Christianity. You know, do you want to silence that foolish talk? You do that with your good deeds, with a life of integrity and and purity, and you go the extra mile. And, and, and he's saying here that we win the world not by trying to defend ourselves with words. Instead, we follow Christ's model, and it's powerful. And I, I know there's probably a few people in this room now hearing this, and you're thinking, you know, 
hey, great story, Terry, but I like to go 76, you know? <laughs> and I think the government is just this big, giant, huge ripoff. And um, I think what you're really getting into, Terry, is, is just, come on, legalism. You've taken, this, you've taken this passage and you're kind of torquing down on it and you're trying to tell us now how to drive and what to do with our money and, you know, be faithful to these laws. And you know what? By the way, Terry, I'm free in Christ. I, you know, I'm born again. I obey a higher set of laws. Okay. All right. So it's pretty clear in verse 13, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution. I'm not asking you to do this, though, legally, with legalism in your mind. I'm talking about an obedience from your heart where you want to. Where you, where you choose to, you, you say, I'm big enough. I'm strong enough to see the big picture here and um, submit to God because God's reputation is on the line. I mean, it's like this, this car sale. I mean, I, I get your point, but I got to do it this way because it's the right thing. And verse 16 says, live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. He's saying, yeah, you're free. But that very freedom is a platform to care for, care for people, to serve people, to love people, to lay your rights aside the way Christ did because of how it's going to benefit people. Is there a price tag? You bet. You know, it might cost you an hour on a long trip or the IRS is going to get more of your money or maybe you'll lose a job somewhere because you won't you know, but would you rather have the favor of God or a few extra dollars? I mean, you know, you put into balance your family, your life, your children, the Lord's reputation. Would you rather save a little bit of money or would you rather have the Lord in a place where he looks at you and says, hey, that I can bless. And would you rather be in a place where you can prove that the Lord loves to bless righteousness? And he does. The problem is this is hard because it's where we live and, and, it, and it requires a good attitude, you know. And then in verse 17, he puts, pulls all these principles together and brings some balance to this whole situation. And he's got four quick commands. And we're just about done here. Um, four quick commands. Verse 17, show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. You know, how do you deal with this issue of submission? He says, you respect everybody. You honor them. You treat them as people. Why was that an issue, treating people as people? Well, at about this time, that this was written, about 60 million people or so were slaves in the Roman Empire. And um, slaves were, they were treated, they were, they were viewed as non-human. They had no rights, and they were treated that way. They were treated like farm tools. So imagine being a slave, people whipping on you, telling you that you're nothing, you're, you know... Then you meet this Christian who comes along, looks you in the eye, and actually says, hey, how are you? You okay? Can I help you in some way? And in their mind, they're going to be, well, he's treating me like I, I, I care. I, he cares. He, there's, there's worth here. And you say, well, okay, we don't have slaves here. What's this got to do with me? Well, how do you treat people? How do you treat waitresses? How do you treat the person when you're ordering your latte through the window? How do you treat the people that in your mind, you're paying them to do something for you, so here's your money, now give me what you owe me. Or they're doing something that you don't see as that important for you. You know, hey, hey, can we get some water over here? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to pour it right on your head, you know. <laughs> stop. I just encourage you to stop and look them in the eye. Ask them their name. Ask them their name. Your dinner's going to come. Ask them your, their name and have a conversation with them. It's like they're not going to stay there forever. They've got other tables. But the fact that you value them for a minute is a testimony. It's a testimony. And you'll make a difference in somebody's day. And they're going to see a difference. And that difference brings honor to God. It's for the sake of the Lord. By the way, we have plenty of passages in scriptures that tell us if these two things ever conflict. If your government ever tells you to do something that the word of God is telling you not to do, that 
is when you stop submitting to the government and you do what God tells you to do. And there's plenty, plenty of examples of that. We, you know, we have Paul and, and Peter and Daniel, you know, where, you know, they say, hey, don't pray. Daniel says, hey, I'm sorry. Very respectfully, you can shoot me. You can do what you want to do with me, but I'm going to be praying. Or, you know, they said to Peter, hey, stop talking about Jesus publicly. And he says, you know, you, you guys, you're the Sanhedrin. You're the authorities. I respect you. I honor you. But should I obey you, obey you or should I obey God? We have examples that when our government tells us to do something that is not scriptural, that's where you draw the line. And here's the deal. You'll have to figure out in your own conscience where the line really is. That's a whole different sermon. Um, I'm not going to go there. And I want to close this loop by going back to the whole Tylenol thing because I was captivated as I saw this example and I studied the thing out. Um, You know, I really believe in our world today that our world needs the equivalent of a spiritual prescription for their pain. They need something. And the public perception of the church is often unsafe, you know, inept, powerless, hypocritical. So I just want to ask you a question and then pray. What are you going to start doing beginning today to change that image? Lord, let's pray. God, um, it seems sometimes like it'd be easier to ask you to forgive me for cheating on my income tax then it would be to, to say, God, I'm sorry that I speed and you tell me not to and I speed and you tell me not to and I'm... Oh, God. So first and foremost, I just want to acknowledge that I'm a sinner and I'm sorry. I'm sorry about my stinky attitude sometimes and I'm sorry that you had to pay a terrible price because of failures in my heart. I'm sorry, Lord. But I'm also inspired by this. There is something here that resonates in my soul, as difficult as it is sometimes. There's something that resonates in my soul when your word says, submit to every human authority. Okay. Because there are reasons for human authority. And I trust you. I don't worship them. I worship you. And I put my trust in you. So Lord... I, I, I want to pray about the very little topics that are going on in hearts all over this room right now. And I ask God for you to find fertile ground and that tomorrow as a group, we will be more righteous than we are today. And the day after that, we will be more righteous than we are tomorrow. Not because of, of us wanting to waive our good works or to somehow become, um, to boast about any of that because it's like filthy rags but because, Lord, it brings you glory and it brings us closer to you and it prepares us for what it is that you would call us to. So I thank you, Lord, for the kind of love that you've demonstrated.